the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick T Podcast. My name is Nick DiGilio. Welcome. We are with Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The Radio Misfits Podcast Network is the best podcast network on the planet. We are now streaming 24-7 at radiomisfits.live. Moving on, man. Great stuff happening. You should jump on board while the train is running. Get in here, man. Radiomisfits.live, 24-hour streaming service. It's like a radio station, only cooler. You'll hear Unheard Music Show, the Unheard Music Show, which is loaded with unsigned bands uh, and music that you've never heard before. All great stuff. So you'll hear Unheard Music and episodes of all the great podcasts that are available at Radio Misfits Podcast Network, streaming 24-7. Turn it on. Listen to it. It's awesome. You can hear my two podcasts every day. This one, the Nick D Podcast, daily at 3 p.m. Central, and my SNL podcast, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, Daily at 9 a.m. Central. So at 9 a.m. you can hear my SNL podcast. At 3 p.m. you can hear this this podcast, among all the other great things that are streaming 24-7 at radiomisfits.live. Get there now. All right. Hey, you know what? You should be a sponsor of this podcast because this podcast is very popular. You have an advertising. You want to advertise with us. You got a product. You want to be a sponsor. Do it now. Say, hey, I want to advertise on the Nick D podcast. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Get those communications going now. You want to be a part of this podcast, the Nick D podcast? Leave us a voicemail anytime you want. The voicemail system is open 24-7. We want to hear from you. We encourage it. I listen to every single voicemail that we get, and I play many of them back on the podcast. You got a question. You got a comment. You got a contribution. Anything you want to say at any time of the day or night, 24-7, do it. 773-417-6948. Leave those messages now. You got a megaphone message request that you want to do? Get those in there, too. 773-417-6948. Drop us an email, 247-NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Leave those emails now. Jason Skaggs does all the music, the sounds, the weirdness, the audio, the themes. Fantastic. And Ed, my main man, everybody at uh, Radio Misfits, doing fantastic work there, as well as the streaming service at Radio Misfits. Um, live Today, episode 158, the lovely Amy Guth is going to join me. Oh, God, I love Amy Guth. She is a, a good friend of mine. Been traveling all over the place lately. I used to work with her over at the Car Wash uh, radio station. Uh, she was with the Chicago Tribune for a long time. Um, she has been making a movie over the past uh, several months, and we've been talking about it periodically when she appears uh, as a regular on this uh, on this podcast. She also, um, when my partner Esmeralda is away, she fills in for uh, Esmeralda uh, as my co-host. I love Amy Guth, and she's on the road. Uh, got a ton of stories of what's been happening with her on the road. She's currently in L.A. doing the L.A. thing, making movies and stuff. So we'll talk to Amy about that. You can check out Amy Guth. That's G-U-T-H, amyguth.com. She's also the host of Crane's Business Daily Gist podcast. We'll talk about that as well. 
Always great to talk to the lovely Amy Guth, and we will be doing that coming up. And I mentioned Esmeralda. Esmeralda is going to be joining me. Um, and we are going to be talking about uh, there is a looming actor strike. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, we will also talk about uh, great celebrity answers to dumb questions and much, much more. So, uh, And a magic megaphone request is coming up as well. So uh, Esmeralda Leon and Amy Guth. So Nick DeGilio gets to work with two lovely ladies today on episode 158 of the Nick D podcast. And Esmeralda will be live with me when we do this podcast at the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention. I expect every single person who is listening to this voice right now to be there, to pack the place, to fill that ballroom at the coolest horror convention and the best horror convention in the country, run by Mike and Mia Kurz, uh, who all the money that comes in from the convention goes right into their drive-in. They run a great drive-in in Sterling, Illinois, called the Midway Drive-In. They keep the old-school film experience and drive-in experience alive um, and they're wonderful people. They love movies. They love horror movies. And uh, the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention is something I've been a part of for over 20 years now, 21 years to be precise. Um, and I'm a host. I'm a moderator. I uh, introduce things. I run around. I help produce things. I help do a lot of great stuff. I'm one of the Flashback family members there uh, doing hosting duties and moderating duties and stuff like that. And I am doing a ton of stuff this year. Uh, including hosting the uh, the John Carpenter's Christine cast reunion, plus the car. The actual Christine car is going to be there. There's going to be a Scream reunion, a Terrifier and Terrifier 2 reunion, uh, so many other great things. A live concert by Alan Howarth, um, who is the co-composer along with John Carpenter for, for movies like Escape from New York and Halloween, um, and so many other uh, movies. He's doing a live concert on Saturday night, the uh, 5th. Uh, by the way, he's going to be on the podcast next week. Alan Howarth is going to be on this podcast next week. Um, and also, Joe Bob Briggs, the great drive-in uh, movie host, and, and of course, our good friend Sven Gooley, they're going to be together on stage. That doesn't happen very, very often. In fact, very rarely, or maybe never. Joe Bob Briggs and Sven Gooley on the same stage at the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention. That'll be on Friday night. This is all happening August 4th through the 6th, 2023, at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, right off the highway, really easy to get to, parking everywhere in Rosemont. Um, and it is happening August 4th through the 6th. Uh, there are going to be tons of celebrities. You can get your pictures taken. You can get your autographs. There is a vendor room where you can buy every type of merchandise that you can imagine with incredible artists who design things and, and create things uh, from, you know, T-shirts to artwork to candles to Everything you can possibly imagine in the world of merchandise and horror merchandise is there. Trust me, if you're a horror fan, you're going to spend a lot of money in that vast, huge vendor room between August 4th and 6th of this year at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. Uh, an amazing vendor room uh, with incredible people and really cool vendors that come from around the world to be here in Chicago for this uh, and, and share their really cool merchandise with you. Uh, and then on top of that, in that same room, celebrities all up and down the road, signing autographs, taking pictures, being really cool and meeting with you. All kinds of amazing stuff will be happening. Um, just stars all over the place, and you got to be there. And on top of that, on Saturday, August 5th to 1230 in the afternoon, in the big ballroom where we do the Q&As, uh, I will be on stage hosting my podcast live with Esmeralda Leon, and we are going to interact with the audience, with you guys. We've got really cool prizes that we're going to be giving away, including T-shirts and other stuff. And we're going to be talking with you, and you will be a part of the live recording 
We are recording all of this. It's a special extra bonus um, uh, uh, you know, uh, edition and episode that uh, that's happening, and you will be a part of it. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna talk with the audiences about scary stuff. There's a special um, uh, anniversary of a movie release that day that we're gonna talk about, and some other really cool stories. We want to share your stories with uh, uh, when you've uh, when you've met uh, and brush had your brushes with fame and brushes with celebrities. We'll talk all about that as well. So it's going to be a great weekend, and it's going to be a great live podcast, and I want everybody, all my Nick D fans, to pack that place, have some fun, be a part of the podcast, win some prizes, and we're going to have some special uh, guests on stage with us, special surprise celebrity guests, including uh, you know, maybe Sven Gulli's going to stop by. In fact, I know he's going to. So it's going to be a great, great live podcast, and I expect everybody to be there. You can get your tickets at flashbackweekend.com. Uh, you buy the ticket, you can go to, you have access to everything that is happening in the vendor room, all the stories, everything that's happening, all the really cool stuff. Um, everything that's happening there, you can go to plus included in that, uh, in that price to get into the convention is the live podcast, which is part of the entire convention. So Saturday, August 5th, 1230 in the afternoon, ballroom uh, a, if I'm not mistaken, me, Esmeralda on stage, you in the audience, you being a part of it, talking, hanging out with us, celebrities on stage with us. It's going to be fantastic. Prizes given away. So get your tickets now. Let's pack that place Saturday, August 5th, part of Flashback Weekend Horror Convention, flashbackweekend.com. Get those tickets now. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun, and you'll want to be a part of it. Uh, hey, you know who wants to be a part of life? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Hi, I'm Carrie hi. Russell, and I, think I love Nick's show. Maybe she should say, hi, I'm Emmy-nominated Carrie Russell. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. We'll get to that when Esmeralda gets here. Carrie Russell got herself an Emmy nomination for The Diplomat. So that's very exciting. All right. So all of that stuff is happening. Amy Guth and Esmeralda Leon and all of that cool stuff. And get your tickets now for the live event, flashbackweekend.com. And also, I wanted to, uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm taking a special moment here to review a movie right now here um, in the first segment of the show um, because it's a special movie. Um, and I, I'm reviewing it because it's going to get, it's going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, it opens today, July 14th, and is exclusively playing at AMC theaters, roadside attractions, the studio that released it, the, uh, um, they are, they have a, they have a deal with AMC theaters to show this movie. It's a Canadian movie that actually came out in Canada last year. Played the Toronto Film Festival and won several awards. And I wanted to mention it uh, now because uh, Eric and Steve aren't going to be on with us until uh, a week from today. The next time Eric and Steve are with us is a week from today. And we'll be really busy talking about Barbie and that goddamn Oppenheimer movie. So we'll have a lot to talk about there. Um, so we're not going to have time to talk about it. And it opens today and it might be gone by next week. And I wanted to take a special time here in the first segment of the podcast to talk about this movie. The movie is called Black Ice. It's a documentary. Um, about uh, systemic racism in hockey, particularly in Canada. It's a Canadian film. It takes place mostly in Canada. And it is about um, racism in hockey and how it still exists and the history of it, Um, particularly in Canada where they pride themselves on this being their sport and they pride themselves on being a country that is not as racist, as they say in this documentary, as America is. And yet, there it is, and it's been there, and it's still there. Um, It is directed by Hubert Davis, who is a filmmaker from Vancouver, who grew up loving hockey. 
And it is produced by Drake, among other people, who is obviously Canadian, and LeBron James, uh, who uh, these are a couple of guys who have a lot of power uh, to get movies made, especially movies about sometimes a hard to sell, um, you know, subject like, you know, racism in sports. Um, this is a great companion piece, actually, to Samuel uh, Pollard's uh, documentary from last year called The League, which was about the black baseball players uh, in the black baseball players in the United States. And this one is about Canadian hockey players uh, in Canada um, and deals with some of the same subject matter, but uh, really is candid and insightful and educational in terms of what uh, uh, black players and people of color and players of color have to deal with to this day and what they dealt with and the injustices that went on in the sport of hockey. Now, if you know me at all, if you listen to me when I was back on the car wash, and the car wash, by the way, has um, uh, they play the, the, the Hawks games. And um, if you know me at all, you know I'm a huge hockey fan. Hockey is my favorite sport. Um, and I watched uh, this film with, um, with great interest. Uh, and I was stunned by what I, by, by what I saw and what I heard, um, and, and I learned a lot about this unfortunate systemic racism that, that goes deep into hockey and deep into Canadian hockey. Um, the film um, talks about the identity of Canada uh, and how, you know, hockey is its, you know, it's, it's, hockey is, goes hand in hand with Canada. It's their sport, and it's about. Uh, it also covers the Colored Hockey League. It goes back in time and talks about the, the 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 pioneered fundamentals of hockey and how basically, hey, you know what? The slap shot was in fact invented by a black hockey player in the Colored Hockey League years and years and years before any white players, including Bobby Hall, made the slap shot famous. Um, uh, uh, goalies coming out of the net, coming out of the crease, coming out of the net to get the puck uh, and play the puck. Uh, on the ice, nowhere near the net, that started in the Colored Hockey League. So these these fundamentals, which are now fundamentals, were were pioneered in the Colored Hockey League. And so you learned about that. You learn about the players. You learn about players in the past who had to deal with racism, who never made it to the NHL because of racism. Um, Willie O'Ree is in the film. He is the first black player in the NHL. He talks about his stories. Uh, Akeem Alou is a former player. Um, who talks about him uh, in, about five years ago or four, year, four years ago making headlines because his coach um, was racist and made horrible statements about it, and he went to he went to the press with it and he went to the league with it. Uh, PK Supan Supan and uh, Supan and uh, uh, and Wayne uh, Simmons are also featured in this. They are current NHL players, um, and it features uh, players from kids leagues. It features it features players from uh, from every you know place. In, in Canada, uh, uh, people who are running leagues for children, uh, women's leagues, and how they've had to deal with it. It deals with the, with the subject on semi-pro level, on a pro level, on um, a minor league level, a neighborhood level. It goes back in time to tell you the origins of hockey and how people of color have been a part of the sport since its very beginnings in the 1800s. I learned so much watching this movie about the history of hockey, particularly the history of uh, you know people of color and what their contributions were, and the creation of so many great things that were done by um, by blacks and people of color in uh, the sport of hockey. Um, it is a movie that is educational. I learned so much while I was watching it about my favorite sport, 
Um, and the stories were both interesting and uh, enlightening and heartbreaking. This is a heartbreaking movie to watch, especially if you're a, if you're a fan of, of this sport, if you're a fan of hockey. Um, the, the, the racism that has been attached to this sport um, is, you know, undeniable. It's been there forever. It's been there since the beginning. Anybody who watches hockey on a regular basis knows the percentage of blacks or people of color on the ice is 5 to 10, 10% at the most, 5 to 8% at best, um, that you see on the ice. And it's, it, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's been, uh, uh, people can see it when you watch the sport. If you follow sport, you know it. I mean, it's, be, it's actually become kind of a running joke in the world of sports and in the world of hockey in general. I mean, all the way down to one of the funniest sketches of the past, like, seven or eight years, of, or ten years, I should say, of Saturday Night Live uh, was when Chance the Rapper hosted, hosted, and he had to fill in as an ESPN correspondent covering hockey, but he's black, and the whole sketch was about him not, you know, feeling comfortable doing these interviews and being part of the sport. Um, it's a thing that's been satirized. It's been talked about. Uh, it's been a problem, and it's been something that people have been dealing with, and because of the systemic racism that's been a part of the game and the fact that they're, you know, that, that blacks uh, have been excluded from on several levels from the game, um, from just racism to also the fact that, um, you know, it's the most expensive uh, sport to get into because it's, it, you know, the equipment that you have to get is expensive. And a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of the folks who were financially uh, challenged, uh, couldn't afford the the equipment, and when they did get the equipment, they were made fun of or they were mocked. And the racism is still there. The stories that are told by NHL players in this movie, and by people who are respected, incredibly talented people, to hear the stories that are still happening to this day in 2023 is unsettling and shocking. Uh, on top of that, on top of all of that, you will learn so much about this sport, even if you think you know everything about it. And I thought I knew everything about hockey before I watched this movie. But you don't, and you will learn so much about it. Um, it's a great movie. It's a great movie for hockey fans. If you're not a hockey fan, it doesn't matter. If you're not a hockey fan, you'll still find this movie fascinating. On the, strict, on the simplest of levels, this is great documentary filmmaking that tells a story that needs to be told, that tells an uncomfortable truth that needs to be confronted in a way that is entertaining and profoundly moving and heartbreaking and sometimes sad and sometimes inspirational. Uh, the message is... Don't let the racism get you down. If you are a person of color, if you are a kid, get on those skates and go. And it talks about so many great things that happened you know, in the past. And these older gentlemen uh, uh, who played hockey you know, many, 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 many years ago, their stories are compelling. Um, it's a great film. It's called Black Ice. And the reason I bring it up in this special sort of extended segment here is that uh, I want people to see this movie. I want you to see this movie. Um, it happens to have uh, the unfortunate problem of opening on the same day as a Tom Cruise movie does. The Mission Impossible movie is out this weekend, and that's the movie that everybody's going to be going to see. And that's the movie that everybody uh, will be talking about. That's the movie that's been getting the press for the last three weeks, that's been you know, hitting. You'll see it all over television. You'll see it all over social media, everywhere. Everybody's talking about it, interviews, talk shows, blah, blah, blah. Everywhere that you go and everything that you see from the movie theaters and the trailers to the TV commercials and the radio and everything, you will hear nothing but Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible this entire weekend and this entire week. 
And, and I have no problem with that because I think the new Mission Impossible movie is great. I think it's one of the best movies of the year easily, and it's a remarkable movie. But here's the deal. This movie's going to get lost in the shuffle. This movie, Black Ice, about the history of, uh, of, of people of color in hockey on every level, including the NHL, is a movie that should be seen, that must be seen. And it's a movie that deserves a lot more uh, uh, recognition and, and, deserves a lot, uh, and deserves a much bigger push than it will be getting. And that's why I'm taking a few extra minutes here in the top of the show here to tell you about it. And you need, need to see it. So, uh, listen, here's the deal. Tom Cruise is still going to be there next week, everybody. You know what I mean? Trust me on that. Tom Cruise will be there next week. If you wait a week to see Mission Impossible because you go see this movie, it, it, Tom Cruise will not be hurt by this. Tom Cruise will not be upset. You won't be missing out on anything because the Mission Impossible movie is going to be in theaters for the entire summer. Tom Cruise will be there next week, folks. This movie will not. Black Ice is in AMC theaters exclusively. So look up AMC theaters. It's playing in all the AMC theaters in the Chicagoland area. Um, it starts, uh, it start, they started showing it uh, last night, and it opens officially today. And it will, it's booked in theaters for this week. So hopefully it'll still be booked in theaters next week, maybe less. But the point is that you can hold off on seeing the Tommy Cruzy, okay? And I love the Tom Cruzy. I love him, and I love the new Mission Impossible movie. But you know what? Give that a rest for a week. Tom Cruise will be there next week. This film will not, and it is an absolute must-see. That's why I'm taking some extra time, the first part of the show today, to tell you about the incredible documentary, Black Ice. I think one of the best movies of the year. If you're a hockey fan at all, you should see it. If you are a fan of history, you should see it. If you want to learn something new, you should see it. If you want to learn about Canada, you should see it. And also, if you want to be inspired or you just want to learn something that will actually break your heart in certain spots, you should see it. It's inspiring, though, in the stories uh, that these people of color had to go through and are still going through to play a sport that they love, to play a sport that is Canada's sport. And then, you know, despite the fact that there is that horrible little secret that the Canadians like to keep, and that's called racism. It is a great documentary, one of the best films of the year, and you should get out there and see it. Like I said, Tom Cruise will be there next week, everybody. This movie won't. So go see Black Ice, a remarkable documentary that is playing exclusively at AMC Theaters. Get out there and see it this week because it might be gone. It's probably going to be gone next week. So... Don't let the freight train that is Mission Impossible roll over this remarkable movie. And that's why I'm taking some extra time here. So go see Black Ice at AMC Theaters and then go see Mission Impossible because it rules. But make sure you see Black Ice. So I wanted to focus some attention on that. So anyway, all right, let's get into, uh, let's get into the show proper. Uh, Amy Guth is my first guest. So let's say hello to her after I tell you congratulations. And by the way, if you go see Black Ice starting tonight over the next few days, congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jagoff. Amy 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 Amy
Yeah. All right. The the rave has begun. There it is. Yeah. Amy Guth is here. <laughs> Hi, Amy. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm I'm in sunny California. Um, I'm good. I'm looking at palm trees. You know, we had some crazy ass weather here in Chicago yesterday. Uh, I was kind of watching it play out on social media, there, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, I have not. I, you know, I live on the northwest side of Chicago, um, in a very populated area on a main street. Okay, right by the Kennedy. I don't know in the eleven or twelve years that I've been living in this apartment. I don't think I've ever heard tornado sirens. Wow. And I did, and I did yesterday, like loudly, like like, you know, like to the point where I was like, "There's tornado sirens in my neighborhood." You know, like. <laughs> It was oh, disturbing. Huh. It, it was disturbing. It was very disturbing to you. And I was like, okay, what, what, what's going on now? Uh, and, and then it was pitch black one minute and then sunny the next and pitch black. It was one of those days where it was like the end of the world for about 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then like the greatest day ever and then 45 minutes later, the end of the world again. It was a very weird weather day yesterday. Very weird. That's weird. I saw, yeah, I saw some pretty wild looking pictures uh, that people that, that kind of lived up in high rises were taking of it kind of rolling into downtown. And I was like, oh, damn, that's a whole yeah. thing happening there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a friend who lives uh, on the very, very south side. And um, she lives, I think, on the 10th floor of her building and um, took some video. And it looked like, and I, you know, she took video of like, yeah, this is where you live. I'm pointing at the camera where you live. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm dead. <laughs> right. Bye. May as well, well <laughs> let everybody know that I'm going to be dead in a couple of minutes. But anyway, well, I'm glad that you have uh, some nice weather out there in uh, L.A. Yeah. Um, before we get to why you're in L.A., what you've been doing in L.A. and the adventures of Amy Guth, I believe we're going to call this yeah. segment every month the adventures of Amy Guth at this point. Let's do that. Yeah. Be- because you've been on fair. the road. You're on the you're 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 moving around a lot. Yeah. Um, so but uh, give everybody uh, Amy. Amy, you and I go back a, a long way. We used to work. At the Car Wash radio station together, uh, we both worked in the Tribune building. You worked for the Tribune upstairs, and you would come down and uh, do your show and then do my show, and we would all hang out, and everybody was happy. <laughs> yes. Days. Let's go with happy. Yeah, we'll go with happy. <laughs> we'll go with that. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so that's how long I've known you. I've known you a very long time. And you yeah. um, do, do your own stuff. You also host a, uh, a podcast for Crane's Business called Daily Gist, and you've got so much other stuff going on. Um, first of all, tell everybody about uh, Daily Gist and get that plug out of the way and tell everybody where they can hear that. Of course, yeah. Uh, anywhere you like to find your audio on demand, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those good places, or at chicagobusiness.com. And so it's every weekday, just kind of letting people know, here's like the four to five stories that you need to know about Chicago business that particular day. And then I interview um, usually somebody from the Cranes newsroom, who kind of whoever had the big story that day. I'll grab them and get them on mic and interview them about the uh, about the story and a little bit about, usually I try to go a little bit behind the scenes. Um, so I just interviewed um, Brandon Dupre, who covered all this Northwestern stuff as the head coach was fired. Oh, and, you know, man. he had to cover so much. He had to cover not only that's what happened in the sports program, but also, hey, there's a, a new university president and, and kind of eyes on him about his next move. And then a lot of community concerns about the new stadium 
and you know a lot of residents felt like maybe they weren't the school wasn't being that transparent with what they were going to do with it because they said there there would be maybe about a dozen 10 to a dozen non-sports events there so they're worried about noise so this poor guy you know he had to just kind of scramble and cover all this stuff so i just talked to him about about those about that big story and kind of all the avenues of it and so it's really kind of that and, and just about you know the reporting process and all that and sometimes i'll talk with business leaders but it's usually somebody from the from the cranes newsroom well, and it's uh, it's 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 a great listen, and uh, and uh, you work with uh, a, a great friend of a mutual friend of both of us, the great Todd Manley. Yes, he produces the podcast, and I'm I'm so thankful to have him as a partner in that because you know we've known him like you and I've known him so long, like and working with him at the car wash, you know, you get to know somebody doing this kind of work. You you get to know a lot about like people's strengths and their limits and and like what they're really good at. And so I, I think Todd is such a good partner because I've known him so long, because we know each other so well, we're able to 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 knock it out really fast. And I think keep the production quality pretty high because we we communicate really well. And you know, yeah. everything we say is like in shorthand, right? Because we, we know what we're yep. talking about and we, we yep. you know, you know how to pull in audio. And so we're always kind of looking for, for texture and things like that. And, you know, sometimes I'll talk to a reporter who's like at city hall and they're like, I'm so sorry, there's noise behind me. I'm like, lean into that because Todd and I will go nuts with that. And, and I'll say, I'll, I'll add a, a throw or something to the interview and say, hey, and then I talk to so-and-so who's at city hall reporting on this issue and and having that kind of room noise behind of, of like the bustle of city hall i think is kind of cool right yeah so i think there's your if you really trust your your uh you know your creative partner you're able to do a lot of cool stuff like that and i, I definitely have that with todd for sure yeah and, and todd's a pro man he is as pro as it gets totally yeah with oh my question. god he's so the, good at what he does one of the best people i've ever worked with in this business uh, ever um totally i'm just saying that because he helped get me a full-time gig uh <laughs> right so, but no he's a great guy and you're I, mean, I can totally see the uh th that kind of it's it, it is cool to have that kind of we don't have to say anything you know relationship um yeah. where you can kind of read the and i think you and i have that to a certain extent we don't work together as much totally. as you and todd do but you and i have there's something like as soon as we started to talk and hang out it was like yeah we've got a connection here that's pretty cool so totally that's always, totally right and Always if we enjoyed. worked together every single day, we would be like, we, we didn't have to speak. We'd have like telepathy going. I agree with you. I agree with you 100% completely. Um, so, all right, well, cool. So uh, you can check that out, Crane's Business uh, Daily Gist Podcast. And uh, you have a website there, amyguth.com. That's G-U-T-H. And everybody can check that out to see what, uh, what you're up to and all of that. Yeah. Hey, uh, when was the last time you were at a big concert? I know this, is, this was not on the agenda to talk about, but uh, when was the last time you were at a big concert? Do you remember? Like a not even Gosh. a festival, but like an a, like a big. When was the, okay? Mm. When was the last time you saw Morrissey? I, I'll uh, I'll ask you that. You remember? That? Oh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen oh, Morrissey. Okay. Um, I you know the last big concert that I went to, um, a friend of mine had uh, extra tickets to the Lumineers at Wrigley Field, and I was like, I don't really know the Lumineers other than that one song, but yeah, I'll go to an open air concert. That that's cool, and it was actually kind of lovely. Everybody around me knew every single word of every song, so I was yeah. just kind of standing there, hanging out, looking looking at everybody. But I thought it was an interesting mix of like suburban parents, my yeah. age, and yeah. a lot of people, definitely young enough to be my child. And everybody was like getting along and it was fine. So I was like, okay, so this is like dad rock, but it's also the, you know, the Gen yeah. Z kids are all in it too. I, uh, I, I, I have not been a, I'm not a real big, as you know, uh, Amy, one of the other reasons why we get along is because as you know, I'm not a real good, I'm not a real big people person. Um, and, 
So I'm not a big fan of like thousands and thousands of people. You couldn't yes, pay same. me to go to Lollapalooza. Like you really literally could not pay me to right. go. Um, but I went to two Dave Matthews shows uh, this past weekend. Oh, I happen to. How was that? <laughs> I love that. Did you know that I like Dave Matthews? Was that something that you were aware of? No, that seems <laughs> totally out of left field. <laughs> I knew you were going to respond that way. I'm a huge Dave Matthews <laughs> fan. I'm a huge Dave Matthews. Wow. Fan. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I know. It seems completely strange. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and out of character for me. Uh, but I've been a big, I'm a, I'm a, here's the thing. I'm a huge fan of Dave Matthews and his band. I am not a fan of his fan base at all. Um, okay, that's reasonable, yeah. Uh, and and, and, uh, and I've, I've seen Dave a bunch of times. Like, I don't even know how many times I've seen Dave Matthews. I'm one of those dorks. And, and, and so this weekend was, the, this past weekend was the first time I went to a live concert in a, in a, in a vast amount uh, and it was, it was weird because like I've, I've avoided a lot of crowds. And as you know, you know, uh, I worked full time overnights for a bunch of years. And my, so my, yeah, my connection with crowds wasn't really big. And then COVID happened for, you know, so I didn't see anybody for three years. So sure, yeah. to take the public transportation and take the, the 146 museum South to Adler to go to the Northerly Island where he was playing in Northerly Island. And then spend two nights with a bunch of drunk frat boy, white bro, high five and jagoffs. It was unbelievable. It had been, and I hadn't done it in a long time. I hadn't gone to a, you know, I mean, I've, like I said, I've seen Dave a million times. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to get back in there and to actually be among, I don't know, 50,000 people uh, in downtown Chicago. It was, it's shocking. If you haven't done it in a long time. <laughs> Uh, it's shocking. And if you want to really dive into the deep end, go to a fucking Dave Matthews show. You're diving right into the deep end. <laughs> Pulling the so. Band-Aid off. Yeah, big time. And, you know, especially... I think that, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think it's the fan base that, that, that threw me for a loop when Completely. you said Dave Matthews. Because I'm yeah. like, I cannot picture you yeah. around a bunch of frat boys with their right. puka shell necklaces and backwards baseball caps at all. <laughs> Well, I know. And um, most people, like when they, you know, they, I mean, I look like the fan base. I will be the first, you know, to acknowledge that. I mean, I, you know, I'm a white guy and I wear baseball caps. And so it's like, I'm legally, I have to go. Like legally, they could arrest me if I don't go to a Dave Matthews show. <laughs> For like, non-compliance. You're a straight white guy and you wear baseball caps. Shouldn't you be at the fucking Dave Matthews show right now? <laughs> and I used to be, you know, I used to be a big drinker. So that's all, you know, that all fits in. Um, I just happen to really love the band. I think like they're incredible musicians and I love their music and all that stuff. I just like, so the first night it was kind of rainy and everybody thought, you know, it was kind of like yesterday, what I was telling you here, like it was, the sky was black and we all thought we were going to die. Yeah. Um, and it was really uh, dark and foreboding and it was drizzly and I was in the lawn and I went with uh, someone who had never, she had never seen Dave before. She likes Dave, but she'd never seen him before. So it was her first, uh, her first show. And it was a decidedly uh, quieter crowd. Okay. Saturday, I went by myself. I go by myself, and it was as cliched and stereotypical as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> like, I had a dude behind me. I, I, there were three girls and a guy behind me, and they would not shut the fuck up the entire show. They, would, they kept talking, like, during the whole show. And then to my left, there were a group of guys, white frat boy guys, who... The only way that I could describe it is because they're because you know Dave Matthews has been around. The band got together in 1991, so they've been touring for over 30 years. So, 
a lot of their fans are around my age and even older. Some of them are even older. So they should know better. <laughs> In other words, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and there, a lot of them are white boy, you know, puka shells, hacky sack, drunk, yeah. dipshit, yeah. you know, white boy, white bros, high five and assholes. And, and that contingency was there huge. I mean, it was, it was, and, and it was much more crowded on Saturday and, and whatever. And I had to the left of me, there were about eight guys there that ranged in age from like 19 to like almost 70. But they were all, it looked like, you know the, you know the, uh, I don't know the official name, but you know that Neanderthal chart of man? You know what sure, I mean? Like yeah. mm-hmm. going from, from hunched over Neanderthal to that, it, that. That's what it looked like. It looked like, <laughs> like the hunched over 80-year-old guy, you know, leading the chart of frat boys to the 20-year-old. Yeah. And it was, it was ridiculous. But the, the people behind me, at one point, a, sh- a, a song started with a flute introduction. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know he's got like uh, three horn players up there, and one of them also plays a flute. And he he's, they're introducing a song with a flute, and the guy behind me with this this two boneheaded uh, chicks that he's with. They're and by the way, down in the white claws, Amy, downing. The oh white sure, claws. of course, yeah, that was assumed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he's like, hey, hey, flute, flute, flute. It's like that uh, that fucking uh, that fucking uh, 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 Will Ferrell, that Will Ferrell. That fucking Will Ferrell. The Will Ferrell. And he keeps saying Will Ferrell. And the girls are like, I don't know. What are you talking about? He's like, well, fucking Will Ferrell with the flute. Will Ferrell and the flute. And I did not want to engage in a conversation yeah. with this idiot. So I did not turn around and go, Anchorman, you fucking moron. I didn't do right. that. <laughs> I just sit. And he's like, yeah, fl- fl- the flute. I'm fucking uh, uh, Will Ferrell, the flute. Will Ferrell, flute, flute. And then finally somebody behind him went, Anchorman, asshole. And he goes, yeah, Anchorman. Yeah, that movie's funny. And she's like, oh, Anchorman. And then they start quoting Anchorman for 15 minutes. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill these people. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then I've got the, you know, I've got the Neanderthal chart of white boys next to me. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. And then getting back, getting, leaving the place where thousands of people have to uh, kind of narrow their way into a space that's about 12 people wide. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and then I got on the bus. I was on the bus uh, to, to, to get back to the, and it took the bus from the Adler Planet. To, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guess. Amy, how long do you think it took? This is like 40,000 people leaving Northerly Island. And I'm on the 146 bus at the Adler Planetarium, and I'm getting off at State and Lake so I can jump on the blue line. How long do you think it took the bus after this Dave Matthews show to get from Adler Planetarium to State and Lake? And you know exactly what that distance is. How long do you think it took? Yeah, um, it was probably something ridiculous, like, you know, 45 minutes or something, because that's just like you could, because I feel like you could walk it faster. Hour 20. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Hour 20. Because there were people climbing on the bus. There were people standing in front of the bus, thousands of people. Oh, my God. Um, and then I'm on the bus. People are coughing. I'm like, I have COVID. There's no fucking way I don't have COVID. I, this is the second night in a row I've been out amongst a bunch of drunk assholes. <laughs> 50,000 of us crammed into this place. And anyway, so, um, so I was convinced that I had COVID. But somehow on the bus, I don't know how this happened because I actually got into the bus really quickly and sat down. Uh, but somehow in the back of the bus, and it was an accordion bus, so there were like a lot of people on it. Oh, yeah, sure. All of a sudden, for some reason, we're not at a football game. Um, all of a sudden, somebody starts, uh, the entire bus starts chanting, Green Bay sucks. I have no, I have no idea. Where, where, 
where it came from. Of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> they just start chanting, the bus is shaking, and everybody's chanting Green Bay sucks. After a Dave Matthews band, not a Bears-Packers game. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what to say. I guess maybe because we were passing Soldier Field, and maybe, you know. Yeah. Because the, the Green Bay Packers had once walked on that field. I have no idea. I don't right. Know. Anyway. Huh. So uh, it's still crazy to go to those kind of shows. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, right. But, but in I, summation, concerts in, are in summation, a whole thing. Concerts are a whole thing, especially Dave Matthews. And by the way, I am thrilled that I now have digitally recorded your fucking reaction to me being a Dave Matthews fan. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my favorite thing about this whole conversation is that you went, wait, what? You like who? What? I was like, oh, huh, oh. <laughs> What is your favorite Dave Matthews song? Uh, number 41. Um, I don't know it. I'm going to find it and listen to it. Yeah, it's be my like... favorite. I have a lot of, um, you know, I don't know. Anyway, but I'm a, hu- I'm a huge fan. I love the music. I love the band. And they're spectacular live. And they were great both nights. The set lists. One of the reasons why people go so many times is because, you know, go, you go to these big shows, as you know, Amy. Um, like, let's say, say you're going to go see Madonna. Well, she's sick. So let's say you were going to go see Madonna like I was. Um, and, or you're going to go see like pink or, or Swifty or whatever. If you go on a Thursday night and then come back like a week later or something like on a Wednesday night, you're going to see the same show. Yeah, exactly. The exact same show from beginning to end. The exact same Dave, it's different every night. Friday night when I went completely different set than Saturday night. He only played one common song. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway. Which like to me speaks of like his musicianship, I guess. Right. That you're able to improvise. Because I feel like a lot of the, the big concert tours, it's. They like, you know, they'll iron it out to the minute. So it's every single thing yep. is, it is a run of show, like a Broadway production, like yep. every single detail. Absolutely. So that you can kind of just get up there and play. That's, I think that speaks to his flexibility as, a, as an well, artist. It is. It's great. And, and they call audibles all the time. Like, you know, if you go to a Dave show famously, there's at least like two minutes sometimes between songs or three or four. <laughs> like they'll just be up there going, what do you want to wow. play? And then, you know, and then they'll play a song. And, and the thing is, though, like a lot of these jam bands that we're talking about, you know, if you see a Dave Matthews show and on the album, the song is four minutes long live, it's going to be 20. <laughs> sure. So that's, anyway, sure. but so anyway, uh, anyway, I'm still I'm, I'm I still have the audible shock of you like Dave <laughs> Matthews. What? I thought I knew you, Nick. So, right. Anyway. All you right. think you know a motherfucker. Nope. <laughs> well, wait now. So, you know, there is this. I don't know. You know, you just stay around here to fuck my mother and eat her food. Matt. Oh, he moves. There it is. There it is. Never, 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 never. All right. Well, all right. Let's move away from because I was in a I'll tell you something, man. I was in a stadium full of motherfucker food eaters that night. (laughs) 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 All right. Now, for for, let's do a real quick uh, recap for some of the folks who might not have heard some of our uh, earlier uh, visits here. You made a movie, and um, it's done. It's in post-production now, and it involves Elvis. Briefly tell us what the movie was that you have made, and then let's hear some of the updates of what's been happening in your life in L.A. doing that. Yeah, certainly. So... um uh, the film is based on the travel writing of Pam Mandel, who is a, a creative partner of mine. We've collaborated on, uh, we, uh, she wrote a book called The Same River Twice, and she and I wrote the screenplay for that that we're 
shopping around and hopefully you know getting some uh, getting some interest in at some point but it's a it involves several several countries so that is a very big budget so we're really looking to get the elvis film out um and it's really the story of of, of her traveling through alaska at one point in her life and meeting this notorious uh the famous and known actual elvis impersonator and kind of gave her a little bit of advice and she changed the course of her trip so uh yeah so film that in up in the seattle area in bremerton and belfair washington just kind of right across the sound from Seattle and it, everything went so wonderfully and it's in post-production now um, the assembly cut has has happened and uh, Tony Scott Green has signed on to compose an original score which is a huge win uh, he is a Chicago guy but also an LA guy he is so incredibly talented like has the Midas touch of composer so I'm really excited to be working awesome. with him That's great. Um, on that and uh, then it's in edit and we're moving towards you know film festivals and all that but as a result of that so many we met so many interesting people filming in this laundry in yeah. Belfair, Washington. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think I told time, you about some of them. Yeah. The last time we spoke, and if people want to jump back to the last uh, episode that, uh, that Amy was on, you told fantastic stories about these characters who, because you used a real working laundromat that people That's right. wanted, you know, would normally on a, a day, there wouldn't be a film crew in there filming. It would just be right. the regulars doing their laundry. It was an open public laundromat that you used. Yes, yes. And so day one, we were filming in the parking lot. Day two, we closed the laundry and we were filming inside. But but when we were filming in the parking lot, the deal we struck with the owner was that it would stay open and her customers could still use it. And and these women roll up with mullets and they were just like wanted the story. And we explained like, oh, it's set in Alaska. And she's like, this isn't Alaska. And we're like, yeah, but you know, it looks like Alaska because it's a remote area. And she just kind of got belligerent about it. And she was doing her laundry just like, them motherfuckers, they ain't even in fucking Alaska. They don't even know they ain't in fucking Alaska. And just kind of kept yelling that and just like bitching about the Elvis because he didn't look like Elvis Presley. And I was trying to explain like, well, this guy's playing an Elvis impersonator. It was a whole thing. Right, um, right. But like so many interesting characters were there that, um, you know, I was thinking about the show, The Guest Book, which is basically like an Airbnb cabin and the cast changes every week based on who checks in in the cabin. And so that sort of sparked like the idea of a business in a remote area and just kind of the interesting people that would go through that are all tourists and things like that. So um, Pam and I are, are collaborating in very early stages, but collaborating on a series uh, uh, kind of based on that, where we'd have sort of the, a, a few characters like the the regulars and the owner of this business, but then kind of and like some people that live in the town, but these travelers passing through. So we've kind of started some early stuff on that. But really, this post production is kind of the the big thing on the uh, on the books right now. But um, yeah, um, that's the so biggie. So that's that's got to be. I mean, that's a great idea. Um, you know, uh, to have this this idea that you and Pam are going to write about these recurring or these new characters, because yeah. you know, basically, in in you know, um, you know the, the 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 way that you're living right now, not nomadically, but you're moving around a lot. You're going from place to yeah. place. You're going to encounter a lot of people. Absolutely. And that's a great venue to put those people that you that you encounter into a piece. You know what I mean? I think it's, a, it's yeah, an amazing idea. 100%. I mean, I was in a laundromat in the LA area um, maybe two or three weeks ago, and and this guy comes in smoking a cigarette, looks at a woman that's in there doing laundry, and he's like, hey, Beverly, 
how's it going? And she, you know, they start talking while he's smoking and like doing laundry. And then at one point he like sets the cigarette down on the edge of the machine where the quarters go. He's like, guess I shouldn't be fucking with this while I'm doing the fucking bleach, right? And just dumps a, like half a bottle of bleach in the, and I was like, what is this guy's story? Like I need to, I don't want to engage with this man, but I need to engage yeah. with this man. Cause I need to just like understand what his deal is. Yeah. And then he's like, well, see you by and by. And just like leaves with his bleach and his cigarette, no detergent, yeah. just bleach. So I was just like, Bleach. I'm sure they're who knows. Bleach like and a crime scene. I, 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 you know, <laughs> I, I, I will give you permission to use Anchorman guy uh, as one of your characters if you want. The, the guy, flute, fucking flute, Anchorman, flute, flute, that flute. Guy. Yeah, flute. <laughs> Idiot. Um, <laughs> now you know uh, laundromats are an interesting are, are an interesting place uh, to um, uh, to meet people. Um, I have not used my laundry oh, room yeah. here at my apartment building in a long time. Um, uh, I'm not going to go into why, <laughs> but but I uh, I do find myself at laundromats, uh, not as much as I used to, because I yeah. do because I'm a I'm a I'm a snob and I, I I you know I fluff and fold I drop it off a lot. Sure, I do yeah. that because I don't you know I don't want to do laundry, so I just kind of drop it off. But every once in a while I will, and you you always encounter. It doesn't matter where the laundromat is. Laundromats, like bars, are very interesting people for people or interesting places for people to to, to people watch. You know, 100%. And I think the thing about laundromats is like, no one actually wants to be there. Everybody would prefer to have a washer and dryer in their house. So everybody's kind of there out of necessity and kind of making the best of it. And there's like the people that like, what do you do when you're just bored and you're keeping an eye on your laundry because you don't want your shit stolen? Like what, what is the, and most people like screw with their phones, but people get on the phone and have really fascinating conversations because they're out of the house. So there may not be in front of their spouse's ears, right? They may be like, or they may be away from their kids. And so it's yeah. funny, like the gossip that happens. And as I I've been kind of going around to Airbnbs for the like last six weeks or so, um, and going to laundromats, I've been just hearing fascinating uh, little snippets of things that I'm like kind of obsessed with laundromats now. So yeah. Yeah. I'll be, uh, uh, I'll be meant- importing all of that and more into this new series. You mentioned uh, Airbnbs. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be doing that on a consistently, on a, suit, on a, on a regular basis now. I mean, you weren't doing that for a while, but now that's what you're doing. Uh, what are the differences in Airbnb, the people, the quality? What have some of your Airbnb encounters been like? They've all been really positive and really, really? great. Yeah, they've all been wonderful. And I've met really nice hosts. And um, the place where I'm staying now, I haven't actually met the host yet, but we've we've exchanged some messages. And, and like, he's the nicest. And he just left, like, a, he has a lot of instructions around. And, like, hey, these restaurants are nearby, and this is one I like. And he just made it very easy to just kind of be here. Um, you know what? This is a weird one. But if you go to, like, a monthly rate on an Airbnb, it's, it like, once you factor in, utilities and all that i mean unless you're like living large in the hollywood hills or something you're you're at least gonna be like about what you'd spend with rent but i'm finding that i'm spending less so it's actually kind of like a deal like rather than trying to get a short-term apartment or something like that um like just popping around to airbnbs and and like some of them are negotiable you can say hey you know i'm going to be here a little bit longer than just a couple of nights is that price firm some people will go like oh yeah cool as long as you have good reviews from your previous host um but you know people leave like interesting kind of side quests for you they're like hey my favorite restaurant in this neighborhood is this place that i never would have found and things like that oh, that's um, cool. yeah no ever and this place i'm in right now is, is really nice i'm in culver city and it's uh uh 
I, my host must be a decorator or something because it's very beautifully decorated. And I didn't, I didn't anticipate that. I didn't see that coming. But it's a, it's very comfortable, nice little one bedroom apartment, and you know, it's just like a little bit more flexibility than staying in a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now you haven't you get, seen the, you haven't seen the, you haven't seen the film Barbarian, have you? I have seen Barbarian. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> I was gonna I say, don't Barbarian. watch it while you're in your no, current situation. <laughs> I did see Barbarian, and then I, I Googled that director, and I found a really fascinating interview with him about how he wrote that scene. Basically, he started out, he was reading a, a book about, um, about like assertiveness and verbal self-defense, and got to a chapter about how like women in particular, but, but anyone could do this, but like women tend to be more socialized to ignore red flags, to be like polite and not rock the boat. Right. And so he decided to write a scene where as many red flags were being right. ignored as possible. <laughs> and that's that scene. Cause the whole movie, I was screaming at my TV, like what the fuck are you doing? Oh my God, yeah. don't do that. No shit. Now you've done this. And it's just yeah. like kept getting worse and worse. And, and, and then, I mean, it kind of reminded me of like dusk till dawn in the sense that like suddenly shit, went totally a different direction yeah it, like, go, it halfway like, through it takes a 180 it does a 180 oh, halfway through yeah yeah like the same moment in which like the the quentin tarantino script gives way to the robert rodriguez script and right. selma hayek becomes a demon like right. suddenly there is some shit yeah. happening in the basement that i did not see coming yeah. but you know what they made that movie really i think they made the whole thing for like four million dollars yeah because they filmed a lot of it in bulgaria yeah uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm not a big fan of that movie, but but the, the guy who made it is is a he comes from the world as you know. Uh, since you did research on the guy, he comes from the world of sketch comedy. Like yeah, he's not a yeah. not really a filmmaker, not really a horror filmmaker, not really a horror writer. He's from sketch comedy. The whitest kids you know was yeah. the sketch comedy group that he was a part of that he won that he founded, and here he makes one of the most successful horror movies of the past like five years. And yeah. Scared the shit out of people and really surprised people. And yeah, the red totally. flag stuff is my favorite stuff in the movie. Yeah, like because it's I mean, so first tense. All, You're like, oh, first of all, you've got don't. a you've, you've got a scars guard. You don't trust a scars guard. You know what I mean? Like when when the scars guard is the guy that's standing. The- <laughs> right. You don't trust. I mean, that guy's brother is is Pennywise. You don't trust the brother of Pennywise. Right. Um, <laughs> And like when he's like, "Hey, I got wine." You're like, "No, don't fucking no, drink don't do the it, wine. don't do it, don't do it." Yeah, 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 all of it. Like every time, I kept going, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> now you didn't watch it in an Airbnb, did you? No, no, no. I okay. watched it uh, in Chicago in my apartment. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> say that yeah, would be no. really, really inappropriate if you watched it in one of your Airbnbs. That would be not. Oh fuck! Be- I would have been like, "And I'm out." <laughs> and I'm out. Well, the first one I had was like, uh, kind of this little cabin. And it was a little bit like up the hill a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is really inexpensive. And like, this seems nice. And I have a lot of post-production kind of paperwork to do. So that's cool. I need some quiet and nice. And it was, it was quiet, but I had like a lot of dogs around me that I started nicknaming them with bark (laughs) something. I was like, okay, you're Barco Polo, you're Barky Bark and the Funky Bunch, you're the Prince of Barkness, you're Joan of Bark. I just started like going with all the bark puns. Uh, Kareem Abdul Jabark. Yeah, I had all That's the great. all That's the fantastic. all the dog. Um, but at one point, I was like recording the show, and I just sent Todd a file. I just like let the I just hit record and let it just sat there for a minute. And I was like, "Are you listening to this right now, Todd?" <laughs> and it was just like the symphony of barking and like a duck freaking out. It was very funny. That's great. That's great. Well, you are <clears throat> you are in L.A. Uh, yes. uh, right now doing the L.A. thing, uh, mm-hmm. taking the meetings and meeting with directors and meeting with other people for the projects that you are working on. But one of the things that you that you wanted to talk about, and and I would love for you to expound on this uh, if you can, and you will, 
Um, people don't really know what a producer does. Oh, for fuck's sake, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and now everybody has, I think a lot of people have like a certain thing pops into their head, an yeah. image or something. Um, like when I think producer and I, but I, you know, but I know like it's different independently than it is like sometimes just people have their names put on a project because they got money. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but a lot of people think producers are just like, you know, they've got cigars yeah. They go, yeah, I'll give you some money for your little picture, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But when you're making a movie on the level that you're making it, on a low-budget level, on a level where it's, you know, grassroots and shit, the producer is much more interesting. So, so, so tell us about what, what, we, what we don't understand about what a producer does, because I know you want to get, get this off your back. So tell yeah, me I got, yeah, I got things to say. I know. Yeah, so, so executive producer, that's your check writer, or the person who got people to write the checks, right? So it's like, hey, I had this idea for a movie, I'll go raise the money and you know, get an investor attached to it. That's, that's the people that are gonna get their executive producer credits. But producer, that's somebody who is, like you're the CEO of the, of the film and you're there to make sure the director's vision is happening as close to on budget as possible and on time, you you know get all the department heads in order. You hire like the unit production manager who's going to hire the crew. You uh, do all the paperwork. You close the film and make sure everybody gets paid. You deal with all the permits and all the uh, you know all the rights if you need like um, archival footage things like that. You do all the paperwork deals you know of whoever you're going to have. Um, Casting wise, you, you get all those done. You do the crew deal memos. So you're doing a lot of paperwork and you're fixing a lot of problems. I love doing that. I love solving movie problems. I love when a director's like, hey, you think we can get an Alaskan Husky or a moose here? I'll figure it out. Like, because you just have to just put your, you know, like your reporter hat on and go, okay, who would I talk to about this? Okay, that's gonna be like, there's probably a local mushers team or maybe there's a, a kennel club or, you know, you just start calling people. And I love solving movie problems. And I love doing that because you're, you're completely present. And um, there was someone I spoke to on set one time and, and he was, a, uh, he was a, a combat veteran. And he said something that was so profound and everybody heard him say this and stopped and looked at him. And he said this right as we were like wrapping the film, he said, you know, this is the only job for me that PTSD is not sitting on my shoulder because I'm completely present in the moment. I'm not thinking many steps ahead. I'm thinking what is happening right now. And I thought, and everybody stopped and turned mm. around and, mm. and he was the only one there with, you know, that with PT, with PTSD that I, that I knew of on set, but, but other people were like, Oh, that's why my ADHD is not a problem on set. Oh, that's why, like all of us were there for a reason. Yeah. And I think yeah, it yeah, speaks yeah. to a certain kind of person. Um, but you know, when you, when you say producer, people are like, Oh, so can I, right. Exactly. They think you have like a cigar and a convertible and like you are green lighting thing. Like I'm not green lighting, I'm making your shit work. Whatever yeah. your budget is, I'm making yeah. your shit, I'm, I'm figuring it out of how we can do it and make it look really good. Yeah. And, and I think people just kind of like don't understand that. And then sometimes when you have like to incentivize somebody to invest in a film, you can offer them like, hey, well, for this much, we could call you an associate producer. Cause yep. often an associate producer is is a little more peripheral and not as hands-on um, and, and and it, it, it drives me crazy when I see a film and there's like 16 producers listed. Cause I'm like, you know, one, one of those poor sons of bitches did all that work and yeah. like 
everybody else listed just like wrote a check, which is not insignificant. You have to have that check to get that movie made. But I was like, man, one motherfucker did all that work and the rest of the people are just like, when's the movie ready? You know? And I think that adds to the, that further adds to the confusion of what a producer totally. does. Because when you see, like when you watch, I can't you know, tell you the number of, of, of shows now on television or on streaming where the actor or actress has their name on it as a producer or an executive producer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then you'll see names of other people and you're like, well, you know, what, what do these people do? Like, like, for instance, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but the first thing that popped into my mind was um, Rachel Weiss, who, by the way, did not get fucking nominated for uh, Dead Ringers and should yes. have. Um, she is an executive producer on that. Um, and, but there are a bunch of names that are also with her name that you don't recognize. And so throwing in like an actor or actress's name, it tends to confuse the issue even more. If you, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then there's a situation in in indie film where uh, there there's like a, a celebrity who kind of wants to get into the producer game and kind of right. wants some indie cred, and so they're like, yeah, I'll I'll star in it and 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 like work for you know lower than I would normally ask, um, but I want to be a producer, and so they're kind of saying, well, you're getting the leverage of saying that I'm this big celebrity in your film, or they'll say like, yeah, I'll, I'll help fund it. You know, I like, they'll say, okay, I have access to people with money, so I'll help you fund it right. and I'll work for cheaply, but I want this producer cred because that's right. going to help me in my career. So it's all kind of a negotiation, but like always remember that there is at least one person who is like the working producer who's doing the stuff, who's making really awkward phone calls to people like, or walking into a laundry and saying like, hi, could we shut this down for a couple of days? What would that cost me? <laughs> like, yeah. There's always somebody doing those things. And I like doing that work because I think it's interesting and right. it's a good challenge, but like it's different than the check writer. And so exactly. I tend to always say, like if I'm talking to somebody outside the business, I'll say, oh, I'm a producer. They're like, oh, and I'll go, I'm the work, I'm the, the elbow grease kind, not right. the check writing right. kind. Right. And they're like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. And they like kind of understand what that means, but oh boy, is that a thing that, it, that it I think is, gets right? really misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you were able to talk about that. I'm glad that uh, you know you were able to clear a little bit of that up because eventually, inevitably, and you know this, like the first thing that pops into your head when you hear producer, I mean, unfortunately over the past like, uh, you know, seven, eight years or so, when you hear producer, you think Jagoff's like Harvey Weinstein. You know what I mean? Like totally. that's the first, that's the kind of image that you have in your head is yeah. a jag off like that. And, 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 and in, but in what you're doing, you are the producer. That's what you're doing and you're working your ass off. So just, just because there are Harvey Weinsteins in the world or there are, you know, the mayors and all these other classic producers from the past, there are people like Amy who are working their ass off and calling up laundromats and saying, uh, can we shut down the laundromat for a day? Which is not an easy right. thing to do. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, I think too, you, you kind of run, um, you run back check a little bit, like a, a back read on on the on the director a little bit. You kind of uh, you don't question their their judgment per se, but like for example, I just got tapped to work on um, a narrative short film that's about addiction and sobriety and like difficult family relationships, mm -hmm. and, and you know part of that was like. Um, that's a topic that I'm very personally interested in. So I'm, I'm happy to be part of that, that team yeah. and the director, like when she interviewed me for that job, she, you know, she didn't come out and ask that, but, but I said, you know, Hey, what, what, 
inspired you to write this script and and she shared you know that it was it was personal for her and and so i said well since you shared let me share and i said you know this is personal for me too this is like i really uh that's it that's an issue i really want to get right on screen that's that's really important to me to do accurately and sometimes i think that's a caricature and i think she she was like yes that i think this makes me want to work with you so i think there's that too that you have to um, cause look at the end of the day, a film is not just one person's vision. It's every single one of us standing there and everything we brought creatively to it. Yeah. And so to say, like, to make sure that you have, you know, sometimes it matters, like, is your director of photography male or female? Because you might inadvertently have the male gaze when you really need a, what would a, how would a woman see that view? Right. Yep. I mean, yep. those kind of things matter. So, um, <laughs> And that's what a producer does. All that's of that what a stuff. producer does. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so you you mentioned you know meetings. All right. Give me give me give me some examples. You know we're t- we're, we're taking on cliches apparently. You know the cliche yeah. imagery of a, of a producer. Let's tack on the cliche of taking meetings because now you're in L.A. and I guess you know like me being a straight white guy who wears baseball caps, I legally have to go to a Dave Matthews show. But you being in L.A., you legally have to take meetings. I guess that's. Part that's part absolutely so tell me about what's been happening on the meeting front and dispelling some of the cliches there or confirming them yeah um you know so getting them is is sometimes difficult you know you can get them through your network of people just by letting people know like hey i'm uh looking to do this kind of project or you know someone tells you what they're doing you're like oh i would love to be involved in that that sounds very cool um it involves like meeting people there's a lot of different forums to connect with people and sometimes you will just like put it on backstage and say like i'm looking for the right producer for this kind of project whatever and you read a script and if you like it and you have something to add to it i think it, it you know there's a difference because i think especially for for a film it's such hard work that you gotta love it you gotta you can't just be like yeah sure yeah. i'll produce that i don't care about it yeah. like you gotta have a stake in it and say this matters to me because that's going to push me when it's when the exciting part is over and we're in post-production and it's tedious and it's long and it's about paperwork and signing checks and dealing with unions and things like that then it's like you, you need to stay motivated for that um so it's got to be scripts that you love and um and so yeah so i'm i'm like having meetings with some directors i've i've met with a few of them in fact right after we are finished i'm gonna meet with another one about about another project and and i mean it's all over zoom now so you're not like at spago outside with spa water um you know it's all zoom now right right so you don't even <laughs> and, have to have pants uh, on if you don't want to wear pants you don't, you don't have even pants have on. to have pants on right you can just be like okay i put makeup on today and i have a shirt on good enough um and and so, you know, you want to go in and, and sell your your strengths as a producer. And I tend to lean on, um, you know, at first, because I haven't done this work my whole career, I kind of got into this in my 30s um, and then really started going heavy in my, my in my late 30s and in my 40s. Um, you know, at first I thought that was a liability. I was like, wow, there's going to be people my age that have been doing this for 20 years. But I realized that actually there's a different strength that I bring. And so I, I tend to say, you know, one of the strengths I bring as a producer is that I've spent a long time in the journalism world and in the broadcast world. And so I'm used to doing things live and pivoting quickly yeah. when, when something changes and being really organized and really, really well prepared by the time it's go time. And as I've leaned into that, I've had a lot of really interesting conversations that um, that, that have caught some producers, uh, produce, or sorry, some, some directors notice, right? In particular, there, there was a project I just talked to somebody about that, that takes place in a newsroom. 
And so he was like, oh, this is interesting. Like you would bring a lot of perspective to that because yeah, yeah. he wasn't a journalist. He's just interested. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's that like it, it is a lot more creative and and kind of through your filter than than it might look from the outside. Um, and then, you know, it's just like a hill of fun, too. But it's cool to connect with new people and kind of I love to ask, like, what made you you know, what excites you about this project? And people will share really interesting personal stuff about like this art matters to me because of this issue or because of something happened in my childhood or because, I mean, rarely people are just like, I don't know, I thought it was a cool story. You know, most people are like, I don't know, someone confided in me in this thing and I didn't know what to do with it and it made me think of this. And, you know, people will, um, people will say really interesting things creatively about what's motivating them. And I think when you match that, uh, when you match your motivation and you're both kind of invested in the same way, and then when you like get along with each other and you can tell like we would get along when it's tedious and when things are getting you know difficult in crunch time, like we would still be able to communicate pretty well. Yeah. Um, that's when that's when you know, you know that you have a, a pretty good match. And uh, so those are the conversations that I've been having, like reading yeah. some scripts that that like some have just totally made me laugh out loud. And then I write back and say, I'd love to be a part of this. This is awesome. Some are like, great to meet you. Right. Take care. You See know, you later. I'm going to go put some pants on. <laughs> yeah. Now. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's, I'm glad that, you know, the experiences have been, you know, interesting and, 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 and fun and everything. So the, the next step now, you, the, you got your you're well on into post-production um, for the Elvis film. And are you looking right. for are you looking for film festivals? What's the time frame? Are you looking for fall film festivals that soon or? Yep, yep. Our goal is to start um, submitting to film festivals late summer, early fall. And you know, there's a strategy to film festivals because a lot of them have a premiere requirement. So they yeah. they want to be your world premiere, especially those really big, you know, top tier, you know, the biggies. They want to be the world premiere. And then once you secure a really good, like the best possible, most prestigious possible world premiere then you start filling in your your gaps and you say okay so it's going to premiere here in you know this month so happens right after that, that that's also pretty top tier so then you start looking at maybe your north american premiere or your la premiere your chicago right. premiere your new right. york premiere your london premiere you start kind of booking those at film festivals and so i have this big spreadsheet so i can search by like uh, submission deadline when it when the event happens how much it costs to submit to that like how I kind of gave everything like a tier one through four one through five so I can like okay what's the best one I could get in oh, New York what's the best yeah. one I can get in LA because yeah. um, you want to kind of you know work around all that but so that's that's the next thing and I'm hoping to announce a big uh, hopefully a really great uh, you know a great premiere at one of those big festivals and then filling in those gaps and you know I'll, I'll as I can they don't really pay you to go but there's some that you're like you're an idiot if you don't figure out a way to go to this you know like right. if you get into Sundance or like the Cannes Film Festival figure it out like yeah. go to that yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. find yeah. a way yeah. you know put it on the credit card do it yeah. um, so hopefully you know one of those uh, one of those big ones would be really awesome um, and then like keep moving I think the name of the game is to like keep things in the pipeline so there's a, a feature documentary that I've been tapped to produce that that has a cool Chicago tie-in and also an LA tie-in um, that, that I'm excited about and hope to be able to talk about that a little more soon cool. and then uh, in the fall I'm going to produce a, a short film that's a that's a horror movie set in set in we lost you there uh, Amy you there hello I think we lost Amy Amy. Keep those oh, there you are. Turning. Okay, there we go. Cool. We, we lost you for a second. So, uh, are you there now? Uh oh. Okay, you're here. Probably an you earthquake said you, or something. Really quickly, um, I want to get that. You said you were you were going to do a a, a a short horror film. 
um, and set. Yes. When is it set? It's set in the eighties. Yes, a short horror film, and it's it's. It's, yeah, okay. it's set in the 1980s, so that'll be like just for the wardrobe and clothes, like wardrobe yeah. and hairdos alone. That'll be fun. Okay, if you need a tech advisor on that, let me know. <laughs> I, will. <laughs> I will. All right, before we let you go, you're going to be back home for a weekend uh, here in Chicago, uh, amongst your filmmaking and your traveling and all that really amazing stuff that you're doing. But you'll be back here in Chicago on the 20th through the 22nd of July, so next weekend. Yes. Um, you will be here, and you are going to co-produce. Uh, the first Chicago Jewish Book Fest here in town. Yes. Please tell yeah. me all about that. Yeah. I, yeah. So Chicago is really one of the, the only major cities that doesn't have a, a like a, a Jewish book festival. So uh, Leah Jones and I have collaborated on a lot of events in the past and we, we collaborate really well. So we uh, are doing that. It is uh, through a manual congregation up in, in Edgewater. So all the programming is going to be there. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. Pick there's a kickoff panel Thursday night. There's a Shabbat service Friday night with a librarian from the Milwaukee Public Library coming to talk about banned books, which I'm very excited about. Um, Saturday all day will be programming and uh, you know uh, author interviews and panels. Uh, Terry Gant from Third Coast Comics is coming to do oh, a yeah. talk. He's so cool. Yeah. He's coming to do a talk about the the Jewish history of comic books, which is vast, and I had no idea till till I met him. Uh, Leah Jones, uh, she also hosts the uh, the Finding Favorites podcast, so she is going to do a, a live podcast recording during that Saturday day uh, with an author. And then Saturday night there is a gala that, and I mean, anyone is welcome to any of this stuff. You don't have to be Jewish. You just have to like be on board with a Jewish book festival. Yeah. Um, that evening saturday night there's a there's a gala there's you know chill kind of uh you know festive sort of party event and jonathan eig is going to give the uh the keynote at that event so that'll be very that'll be cool it's going to be such a fun time um eden robbins is involved another local chicago author like lots of great folks are, are involved in it and it's going to be really fun and you know i think it's going to be like kind of a smaller event this year, but hopefully it grows in future years. So yeah, I'll be back the, the 20th through 22nd and tickets are on Eventbrite for that, or you can go to emmanuelcongregation.org or 5959chicago.org and all of those places will, will get you to the ticketing area or just show up, just show awesome. up and buy tickets at the door. That's fantastic. And that's uh, Chicago uh, Jewish Book Fest, um, uh, July 20th through the 22nd, all that really cool stuff. I got to tell you, Amy, I am stunned that Chicago has never had a Jewish uh, uh, book festival before why am i stunned by that i don't know why i know i have I mean, no crazy, idea right? it's like that's the crazy. third yeah it's like the third Jew, biggest jewish population in the u.s and somehow there's not a book fest Isn't there's a nice? chicago jewish festival but not a book fest so yeah. hopefully this grows into something significant i mean you know that i think that would be just a cool thing to have there and uh have it be this annual event that 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 reaches beyond just the jewish community i think that's the key right is yeah especially now this moment in the world i think we need to find common ground and unity uh, among different groups of people. And, and I think that hopefully this will be a good way for people to know about Jewish authors and, and stuff happening in Jewish Chicago. Sounds great to me. I, uh, I'm probably going to, I want to, I want to swing by just to, 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 to be a part of it and to say hi to you. I haven't seen you in a while, so it's been a long time. Yeah. It's and been I'd a like, minute. And I'd like to see you because you know, I mean, you know how much uh, I love you. Yeah. And I love you back. That's right. That's what I was <laughs> I'll do my best. Since it's at a synagogue, I'll do my best not to scream motherfucker food eater a minute I see you. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you saw, I posted on Facebook that I was at a screening the other night and there were people talking about me behind me. 
I saw that. What were they saying? <laughs> they were saying stuff like, well, Nick DeGelio, is, uh, he did, he, sometimes he doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't know that I was literally right in front of them. Amazing. And I was just kind of eavesdropping. And most of the stuff was positive, but they, you know, they were like, well, he doesn't, he didn't like this, but I don't care. And he doesn't like those faith-based movies, which I don't. <laughs> and uh, blah, blah, blah. And then like, but they were like, sometimes he's wrong. Sometimes he's right. But I'll tell you something. He really needs to watch his language. So fuck them. <laughs> and you know how, uh, you know how I feel about that. And you feel the same way. It's like, come on. I feel the same way. And there's much, there is a great deal of research that suggests that in fact, Swearing is a sign of intelligence because you're just grappling with needing to expand your vocabulary to fully express the nuance of what you're trying to say. So yeah. there. I agree. I totally agree. And for all the people, because there are a lot of people who are like, oh, you, you swear just because you're dumb and you can't think of anything else to say. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I mean, you swear so. you swear a ton. I mean, you're one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. So there you go. Thank you're you. my hero. Thank you. <laughs> you're my hero in that oh. department. In the swearing You're my swear hero. <laughs> um, oh, I think... All the all the smartest people that I know swear like sailors. So yeah. I yeah. There I'm you with have you. that. I'm with you. All right, Amy, listen, best of luck on everything that's happening in LA. Keep me posted. Everybody check out amyguth.com and go to the uh, go uh, make sure that you check out the Chicago Jewish Book Festival July 20th through the 22nd. Eventbrite is where you can get the tickets and elsewhere. Uh, and Amy, uh, we will uh, we will be in touch soon. We'll, we'll we'll talk next month for sure as we always do. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, that's Amy Guth everybody. Let's say hello right now. Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to get to say hello to Esmeralda Lee. Esmeralda. Right now. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah, yeah. Esmeralda Leon. All right. That's right. Esmeralda. Esmeralda Leon. That's the that's the theme from the one and only uh, Jason Skaggs. Let's say hello to Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Not bad. Um, what do you got? Uh, anything planned for the weekend or uh, just staying in, laying low? Um, I will be going home to see my parents. It's uh, my dad's birthday on the 20th. And since that's uh, in the week, I'm going to go early. Ah, See okay. him on the weekend. Yeah. Cool. Uh, can you say how old he is or would you rather not? Um, he was born in 50. He's 73. <laughs> I do okay. the math. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I'm not good with math either. Uh, but yeah, 73. That sounds about right. Yeah, Do the math, folks. Yeah. 73. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, happy birthday to your dad. Yeah. And I will let cool. him know. Any, uh, any, any big plans? You guys going to go, uh, what are you going to, what are you going to Casino? No, no. We just, uh, stay home, hang out. Well, that's cool. That's cool. My, uh, my parents' birth or my parents' anniversary today. Oh, look at uh, that. Look at that. All the parents are celebrating all over the place. My parents, uh, <laughs> shit, how many years now is it? It was 60. Well, how old are you? I'm, I'm 58. I'm, and then uh, count off of that. They were born in, they, they got, they were born. They got married in 19, <laughs> they got married, they got married in 1962, which means 61 years. Mm. Jesus Christ. I don't know how they, I mean, 61 years. I can't. 
That's a long time. Yeah, I've been married twice. They both they together they lasted five. So uh, that should tell you something <laughs> right there. It's a long time to be just with yourself, you know, in yeah. terms of like living. <laughs> yeah. And time to be with someone else all that time too. Or, yeah. Oh. Sixty-one years, man. I don't know. I mean, yeah, because that's a whole person. Yeah, that's like a whole grown, yeah, old adult. Yeah. <laughs> 61 <laughs> been, years. You've been with someone that long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I, it's I'm, a lot. I'm 58. So, you know, yeah. I mean, that makes sense that they've been together. Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine that. 61 years. Well, anyway, happy, happy birthday to your, to your, to your dad, who's only yeah. nine years younger than my parents' <laughs> we, <laughs> wedding anniversary. <laughs> older, I'm sorry. Old, uh, nine years older yeah. than my parents' wedding. Uh, so anyway, all right. So your your dad was nine when my parents got married. Put that into Jesus Christ. Put that. <laughs> think about that. For See, a that's second. insane because. Um. Wait. Wait, thir- is no, it he insane was, because I was 12. He was 12. He was 12 when they got married. Sorry, he was. 12. OK, he was 12 when they got married. Yeah. My math is completely off. So if he's... I wouldn't have known yeah. <laughs> you correcting yourself, I wouldn't have known. He was 12. I... He was 12. He was 12. Yeah. If your dad is 70 and my parents got married, uh, he's 73, 73. Yeah. And my parents are 61 years. So that's 12. Yeah. They, they've been married for 61. That's 12. So he was 12 when my when my folks got married. He was still a kid, though. So. I mean, yeah, he was a tween. <laughs> he was a tween. He was a tween. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he was into Bieber at the time. That's, right. Uh, that's what was happening. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, tweens. Boy. Tween. I'm trying to remember. I was I was a weird tween because I was into the horror shit. We talked right. a little bit about what you were into because of the that lovely, that Paisley, that lovely Paisley girl who was into, who's... who's Eleven years old, but loves Michael yeah. McDonald. Loves yeah, Michael yeah. McDonald. So we talked a little bit about the kind of stuff you were in when you were a tween. Um, yeah, I was too busy watching beheadings and shit. So I'm, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord! No, the way you put that makes it sound frightening. Like it was really happening, like uh, in in the house. Yeah, like you were just watching beheading somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, like, huh. I did. I did grow up in Wrigleyville in the seventies, so I did grow up in. in yeah. uh, I did grow up in like Lakeview goodness. in the seventies. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a few beheadings happening right outside the door there, you know. Um, but anyway, so all right, your dad was a tween when my folks got married. So happy birthday to your dad on the twentieth, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and uh, happy sixty-first uh, anniversary to my to my parents uh, today mm-hmm. on the fourteenth. Crazy, crazy stuff right there. So anyway. Oh, uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Hi, I'm Ooh. Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. So I don't know if you are aware of this, Esmeralda. I think you are. Mm-hmm. That my friend Carrie Russell, who's wearing a T-shirt with an Emmy Award on it right now that she made for Oh, wow. You know, that, that was a great investment, that T-shirt maker. Yeah, it's right on the back porch. Right on the back porch, yeah. We had a party on the back porch last night till uh, about uh, 6 this morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. The neighbors didn't complain? No, they were all, everybody in the the entire complex or multiplex or uh, plexus or whatever the hell you want to call it. we're all celebrating because. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. 
She got nominated for an Emmy for Best Actress yesterday. Very nice. Yeah, Best Actress in a Drama. She got nominated for The Diplomat, which um, I was surprised that she got nominated. Dan Feinberg and I talked about the nominations on the last uh, mm-hmm. episode, if you would like to check it out. That's episode 157, if you'd like to check it out. Um, and as much as we love The Diplomat mm-hmm. and love uh, uh, Carrie Russell in it, neither of us expected her to get nominated, and she got nominated. So, Well, there you go. It was, it was party nice. time on the, on the, on the back uh, they, on the um, I feel like, is there limits on how many people can get nominated in a... In a category, in a category, just no, they seem they, like a lot of actors. They they they've opened that up to the point of absurdity now. Um, yeah, some best categories supporting actor. There's there's four, nine, five, six, seven. Yeah. Eight. there are eight nominees. Everybody, ev- everybody, everybody from Succession got nominated. I think every actor from Succession got nominated uh, in every category. Um, and then like everybody it's from not Ted, even it, for them and they were still nominated yeah 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 <laughs> and uh and everybody like in the comedy category everybody from ted lasso got nominated i mean the you know people multiple white lotus everybody from white lotus got nominated um wow you know like i didn't um, know that uh i didn't know that alexander skarsgård was in succession yeah yeah he's really good what? in it too <laughs> when was he like um, is, he, is it a big role or no? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, juicy, it's a great role. He's fucking great in it. Um, huh? Yeah. Um, God, but no. he's in everything, isn't he? <laughs> he is. He's everywhere, man. You can't get rid. He just I, pops I don't up and stuff. And then when he's not around, it's his goddamn brothers. They're all popping up and stuff. Right. There's all the scars guards. You got There's the so scars guards. Them. You got the clown. One of them's a clown. The it guy. He's Pennywise. Yeah. I feel um, like they're the new. They're the new Baldwin's. The, the, <laughs> Yeah, so you get the scars. But this the one, the br- the dad's in it too. So yeah, he's in Skellin, on it. He's in all that stuff. Yeah, the scars guards are everywhere. But no, and and then you know the other thing that that Dan and I were talking about was that, you know, not only um, have the Emmys decided that they will nominate seventy three people in every category, or at least, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but they keep getting the genres of the shows wrong. Can you know, um, mm. succession? Succession's a comedy. And it's in the drama category. Um, I mean, I could see why yeah. they do that because it's not—it's not, it's not um, apparent. Like, if you're watching—if you watch a preview of it, if you watch a trailer of Succession, you wouldn't say it's a comedy. Yeah. Or when you watch when you watch like the little ads or blips or things of it, you wouldn't think that's a comedy. Yeah, it is though. And so is and so is the White Lotus. The White Lotus is in drama, and the White Lotus is a fucking comedy. White Lotus is a comedy, and and I mean they've never they've never melded things together, because you yeah. know like White Lotus the dramedy, it, same with Succession. It's true. It's true. I mean, well, the thing is that both of those are black comedies. Succession is a black mm-hmm. comedy, and and the White Lotus is a black comedy. Now, I will say this. The, for me, the White Lotus is much more apparently a comedy than Succession. I can people, I can see people going, "Oh, Succession, it's pretty heavy," and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But at its at its core, Succession's a comedy. It always has been a comedy. White yeah. Lotus is a fucking comedy. I don't care what anybody. There are people who die in it and stuff. <laughs> White Lotus is yeah. a comedy, and and Mike White would be the first to tell you that White Lotus, the guy, the creator, would be the first to tell you that in fact it is a comedy. It's a black comedy, but it's a comedy. 
But yeah, but everybody, I, I was th- I was thrilled to see Aubrey Plaza get nominated for White Lotus. I was thrilled. Yeah, about that's that. nice. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that. Uh, Better Call Saul still had seasons. Oh yeah, no, no, and that's the, th- the thing. Here's you. You want to know something that we we discussed this um, on the last episode, Esmeralda? I don't know. Uh, you weren't even aware. If you weren't even aware that Better Call Saul, Better Call Saul is, uh, it's his final season. It just had its final season. Was it um, good? Or it's leading up to it. I don't watch it. It got Emmy nominated. <laughs> no, no, no. It's I mean, according to Dan Feinberg, it's it's phenomenal and it's as good as Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. if not better. Okay. But the thing is, it has gone zero for fifty in Emmy nominations or wins, oh. I should say. Well, that's and a bummer, I guess. It is. And Odin Kirk is nominated this year, and there's a real good chance that he won't win and he will go oh forever. Oh. And maybe he'll do something else. Well, the other thing is, is like as as we were talking about, you know, the guy almost died. He had a heart attack and almost died. Like, what else does this guy mm-hmm. have to do to win an Emmy? What is right? <laughs> What's so. the dedication they need to see? Exactly. This guy died, almost died on the set of this goddamn show, and you're not going to give him an Emmy. So, um, what were the thoughts on House of the Dragon? Um, most people like it. I just um, I find it interesting that it's nominated. I don't know. I just didn't think uh, it's a it's you know I mean I don't watch well. I, I don't watch that shit. I can't get. I stopped watching. What the fuck is the what's the actual uh, Game show? of Thrones? Right. I stopped watching that shit season two. I was like I can't. Well, I watched I watched Game of Thrones, but then I saw the preview for this, and I was like, that's just that one story in the show. <laughs> yeah, they expand upon it, and I, I guess it's but a pre- it's the is same it a prequel? thing. It's a prequel, right? Yes, but it seemed like the same old story. Except everybody wears the same wig in this one because they're all from the same family, so they're all blind. right. No, no, like, no. But that whole so that story of the that family is in the the series in the in Game of Thrones because of um the one little blonde girl. Yeah, she's part Amelia of that. Clark. But it's yeah, but it's the same deal. The whole like oh she wants to be powerful or whatever, but the brother is control. I mean, it's smaller. In, yeah. in the Game of Thrones and yeah. not as fleshed out, but still, <laughs> I'd be like, they don't have any other story? Yeah. I, that I, was my problem with it. I'm like, you got nothing else in, in I, all of this damn storyline of all of these houses and everything, and you come up with the same one? People <laughs> I people like, did, eh. I, I will say this, people did watch it. Um, I mean, it did have a lot, it did have a lot of followers, and uh, most of the people who watched it, I guess, liked it. I Mm-hmm. I, I think most people say, "Well, it's no, it's no Game of Thrones, but it's still good." Right. And people like <laughs> but it. it's something, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's the same universe. That's like a big thing now. Everything is in the same goddamn universe, right? You know, right, right, right. Um, like even horror movies now. There's the Conjuring universe and the Insidious mm-hmm. universe and the con- get the get out of here with that crap. But the, the, one with, the ju- with the with that bear. What's with the, that five? Which the one? Five finger Freddy shit. What is that called? Wait, wait, what? With the, the bear? five, five Freddy, five time Freddy, whatever the hell. What? I'm, I'm it's a confu- movie. <laughs> I'm confused. Five finger. Fr- you mean fr- the Nightmare on Elm Street? No, it's some new thing. It, uh, it was a video game, and oh, five, uh, five night at Freddy's. Oh, that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So that's the one with uh, the guy from uh, the kid from uh, the Hunger Games. Is in it. Um, sure. He I is. just the know guy. it's a video game. Well, and then they made a movie out of it with uh, Nicolas Cage a few years ago. 
Right, that's what I mean. There's like a whole, it just yeah. seems like there's a whole universe for whatever that is. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was. <laughs> I, 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 we, were, we were, in fact, weirdly, I was sitting next to my colleague, uh, Peter Subnitsky, who is a film critic. And we were both at the same showing of The Insidious Red Door because they didn't screen it for mm-hmm. us. So mm-hmm. we saw it in a theater and he just happened to coincidentally be, this, be at the same movie showing it as I was. And they showed the trailer for this uh, uh, Five Nights or in the fucking weird house or with the pizza guys yeah. The, yeah, uh, yeah. where the animatronic monsters come to life. And I was like, didn't they? And I leaned over to him after the trailer and I'm like, didn't they make, didn't this, didn't they do an, uh, a movie with Nicolas Cage, the same thing? And then he's like, yeah, this is like a series of things. And I had no idea. I had no I just, idea. I'm not, I'm still not quite sure what it is, like what it came from. I only know because you want when you walk around, you know, you go to Target or whatever. There's all this merchandise for this okay. because there was a video game before, and it just I, I'm like I don't know what this is, and like you try to look up what it is, and it still can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is either. I, I I just knew when I saw the trailer uh, at Insidious, the the trailer with the whatever the guy's name. Now I'm going crazy because of the guy's name from the and I oh and he, um the actor. Yeah, he was uh, Josh Hutcherson. That's it. That's it. Because he's he, he's in one of my favorite episodes of Saturday Night Live ever. When they do the uh, Josie's on a vacation far away. That whole uh, I don't know if you remember. Oh that bit. yeah, yeah. Uh, but he was the host that night, and I love that sketch. And um, so I liked him because he was really good on that. I never. I, I mean, I don't give a shit about the Hunger Games movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the trailer started, and I, and like halfway through the trailer, I'm like, they, Nick didn't they make, make a Nicolas Cage movie where he's like stuck inside this Chuck E. Cheese and all the monsters come to life and kill him yeah but and, the kids don't want to see nicholas cage <laughs> right so i lean over and i'm and, and then and then you know uh peter was like yeah it's a whole thing it's like a whole move like series i guess like video games and stuff i had no idea yeah i guess it's video games it's just it's a thing where it looks like it's very much geared towards children like even the merchandise and all that stuff you see that it's like you know, toys and things and, and very much geared towards kids. And then you find out it's like this scary horror stuff. And right. I'm just like, how are they even going to go see yeah. that? <laughs> these, animatro- these animatronic, the animatronic, well, for people who don't know, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese. But right. imagine the Chuck E. Cheese animatronic characters coming to life at night and, and murdering you. That's what the, that's what it's, you're stuck inside there. He's like a security guard, or at least in the Nicolas Cage movie. I don't, I haven't seen this new one, but the yeah, Nicolas Cage it, movie. It's the same thing, I believe. I don't even know. I don't even know what it's called. I have no idea what the, what the, what it's called. Uh, the, the, well, this one's called Five Nights at Freddy's. Five Nights at Freddy's, and the Nicolas Cage one. I don't know what that was called, but it was the same thing. He was an overnight guard, like security guard. Oh, that one was called Willie's Wonderland. There you go. All right, so so the, essentially, the Nick Cage one is technically a knockoff. It's a knockoff, but this is official. The with Josh Hutcherson one is official. Yeah, it seems so. Oh God. <laughs> Okay, well, I here's the here's the distinction. Did you see the Willie's Wonder Village or whatever the fuck it's called? Did you see it? No, I haven't seen any of the new iteration of Nicolas Cage. Well, you're not movies. missing anything. Trust me, because Renfield was no, crap. none of them. The, no, Renfield was shit. The whole massive ego or whatever the hell that thing was uh, that came out mm-hmm. last year with him and Pedro Pascal, awful. Yeah, uh, he's got oh. a new one coming out where he's an old hitman killing people. Looks terrible. Um, oh, I like old man kills people for revenge and things. Well, you might like well he's like you find it's the, here's the thing, Esmeralda, you might like this because it's like 
hey, wait a minute, is Nicholas Cage, because he's old and he's grumpy, and he's mm-hmm, got gray mm-hmm. hair and a gray beard, he's old, but he can kill people. So they're like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe right. He, then you find out he's an assassin. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, of course. No, yeah. of course. I love that genre. Well, you might like this one. I don't know. <laughs> I, I love know. the genre of old old people retired, like, out of the game. And then they're ready back. to kill. And then they're ready to and kill. And then they just, and no one knows. Like, I love yeah. that. Well, the 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 the, the, the one that the the Chuck E. Cheese, the Willy Wonka, what, what the hell's it called? Willy's Village, Willy's House. Front, yeah, Willy's Wonderland. Willy, Willy's Wonderland. It, it has the distinction. I will say this: uh, Nicholas Cage does not speak the entire movie. Oh well, that's like the gimmick. <laughs> the gimmick is that he does not speak. He grunts and goes a bunch of times, but he does not. Interesting. He does not speak. He has no lines huh, in that movie. Okay. Um, I didn't see that other movie that he did that got, it got good reviews, that pig. Oh no, that's a good movie. Okay. But now that's a few years ago. That's like, well, I still, I mean, his, his, his renaissance has. Yeah. No, pig is good. Pig is in fact, it's been a while now. Pig is in fact, one of his best movies. That's one of his best performances. Like I would put that up. That's the one that started it really. Right. The, 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 uh, the new like Nicolas Cage stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Coming back and like, yeah. And then also acknowledging like his wackiness. That's why that whole like uh, the w- massive weight of genius or whatever the hell that one was yeah. called. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this last one, this this uh, Renfield was just shit. Um, oh, so, it wasn't good. Oh, oh that's sucked. a shame. Um, yeah. So, but he's still he's still you know despite the fact that he did Pig, um, and then like you know Renfield was actually you know it was a modest hit. Um, he's still making, you know, I, I guess he's still got dinosaur bones to pay for or some shit. I have no I idea. I mean, yeah, he's got, um, you know, he's got bills to pay just like and, us. <laughs> and divorced, yeah, but and divorced, uh, you know, like five times or whatever. Um, yeah. So that's why he's doing whatever movie, like he's still doing a, a ton of shit movies. Like, I mean, he just yeah, like. Yeah, well, he's got to work. Yeah. Again, he's got bills to pay. They're yeah. way more well, but he's got, he's probably got bills. than ours, but no, you know. What, yeah, <laughs> well, I'm saying is like you and I, you know, are, are not going to go beyond our means to buy something stupid. He did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, like he's, he, he's, he, he had enough money where he didn't have to go out and buy villas. You right. Know, 12 or 15 well, villas. Well, you know, you know, that's what happens sometimes. Yeah. The fame. You know, he yeah, doesn't know what a know. fucking deli is. No, exactly. <laughs> still to this day. Speaking of still which, I got to get. Day. I haven't had Jen on the podcast in a while. I got to get Jen Bosworth back on the podcast. Jen Bosworth Ramirez. I got to get her back did on the podcast. Did she give that? Did she tell that story on the podcast? She did. Yes. She told it at the car Someone, wash. Someone. Then... All right. Well, then, um, anyone who hasn't heard that uh, interview with her, go listen she's, to it. She's, she's, been on, it's uh, twi- so she's been on twice on the podcast. Um, and she told it the first time she was on, because I was like, so you have to tell. To that one. I was like, you have to tell the Nicholas, because she worked for Nicholas Cage. People don't know Jen Bosworth, yeah. my friend, worked for Nicholas Cage as his assistant for years, and has a ton of stories, and they're hilarious. And she does a great Nicholas Cage um, yeah. impression. But oh, that hey one Jen. just. Hey Jen, what's a what's a deli? He calls her in the middle of the night. That just. <laughs> boggled my mind like it's still that's, to that's this a, day the guy who doesn't know what a deli is yeah the guy who doesn't know what a deli what is is a deli well uh, hey jen what, what what what's a deli so anyway it's a deli yeah so um yeah so so the offshoot stuff is very weird so you got your house of dragon you got your uh willie's wonka's oh no but now there's wonka have you seen the trailer for wonka with my boyfriend in it oh i i just saw it and um colin was like that doesn't 
That doesn't what? I found it whimsical. He didn't. He didn't apparently. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I hate. It fine. I hated the Gene Wilder movie. I'm. Uh, I know I'm in the minority, but it's it it it's not at all faithful to Roald Dahl's original book. And Roald Dahl hated it when he was. And alive. is that this one is? Well, this one's a prequel, so it's not. It's 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 because the book. Here's the here's the thing. The the mm-hmm. Tim Bur- the Tim Burton version with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Um, which everybody hates, is actually, in my opinion, a thousand times better than the Gene Wilder version because it's actually faithful to the book. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. The, the Gene Wilder version isn't, and there's a lot of really shitty songs in the Gene Wilder <laughs> version. Uh, and this one, the new one, Wonka, with my, with my boyfriend, who I love very much deeply, uh, Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. who I adore, um, it's an origin story. So... It's not ba- it's the it's not based on the book. It's based on the it takes the character and makes him younger. Right. So it's not based on anything that Roald Dahl actually wrote. But ah, the, es- okay. the estate of Roald Dahl backed this, and his family read the script oh. and gave and gave it the okay. Mm, okay. So it'll be true to the spirit of Roald Dahl, even though it's an origin story, not based on actual text that Roald Dahl wrote himself. Got it. But it's Timothy Chalamet. And I'm going to be crying while I watch it because I. <laughs> this is what I imagine. I imagine going to the screening of Wonka because it, it comes out during Christmas, mm-hmm. and Dune comes out in November. Mm-hmm. So I I picture myself going to see the press screening of Wonka after having seen Dune Part Two for the fiftieth time and have it be like a six hour Timothy Chalamet day. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I picture it. And every day should be a Timothy Chalamet day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a I Timothy Shalladay. We should. They should just all be called Shalladays, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But yeah, but no, Wonka's a different thing. It's like a, it's, it's a prequel kind of universe thing. Um, I'm, I can't wait to see it. But I, I, but again, I mean, the guy who made it. Have you seen the Paddington movies, the Paddington Bear movies? Uh, I have not. Oh, they're great. The guy who made this movie made the two Paddington Bear movies, and also you saw the trailer, right? So you saw Hugh Grant as an Oopaloopa. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's enough for me. That's the- oh god. <laughs> that's kind of enough for me. You know what I mean? That'll get I me. Mean, you yeah. got you already. You already had me at Timothy Chalamet because I love him and I, and I I have a massive crush mm-hmm. on him. You already had me at that. But then in the trailer with you know uh, Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa, I'm like, well, this is going to be the greatest movie. Ever yeah, made. he's really him too. I'm really enjoying his his, his renaissance newfound, yeah yeah he's, no he's, and, and it's much much different from when he was younger well i mean when he was like stammering cute british hair right. fop, foppy guy mm-hmm. i i wasn't crazy about him but now he's grumpy old hugh grant i love him yeah and just the <laughs> roles he's him. taking oh man comedic like so good great so good and he's amazing in padding you haven't seen paddington he's unbelievable in Paddington, like he's the villain, and he's so fucking good. Um, I, I at this point, no, no. To me, this era that you're talking about, Esmeralda, mm-hmm. this era of Hugh Grant, phenomenal, man. I am, yeah, no, good for him. I'm glad absolutely. that he's he has gone, um, I guess, a different way. He has, yeah. He and, and he's, he's probably because yeah, he, he's old. Exactly. That's exactly like, what it is. Exactly what it is. Because he was all he was cute, stammering British guy. You know, yeah. like oh, oh, he those... was really good in um the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah, he was fantastic in that. He was great in that. He was the villain in that too. He was an asshole in that. Yeah. He's been playing grumpy old villain dudes now. 
Yeah. Um, Which, by he, the way, I, I enjoyed that Dungeons and Dragons movie thoroughly. I'm glad you did. So did I. I did too, man. I thought it was really a lot of fun. I've never played the game. I've never once right. played it. Yeah, um, and I don't think, I mean, that's kind of the genius of that movie is that they didn't have to. Agreed. I'm glad you liked it. You, you I, don't I, have to know anything because it's just, fuck. it's a story. Yeah. Like, um. There's just a, it's a fantastical story. That's all Dungeons and Dragons really is. And it was really funny. And I thought really, and I th- I love the cast. I mean, you know, Michelle mm-hmm. Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez is one of my favorite people in the world. I love her. I thought Chris Pine was great. I I also was... I feel like Chris Pine is has kind of got gotten away from whatever he was doing before, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel he like was... he has juiced like better roles now. He does. Well, he was he was in <laughs> he was stuck in the he was stuck in the Star Trek universe for a while because he right. you know he played uh, Kirk in the in the Star Trek movies, so he was stuck in that universe for a little while. But uh, but he's been doing some other crazy stuff, and he's uh, you know is he part of the is he in the no he's not. I get all my Chris's mixed up. Is I was thinking was he is he in the Marvel movies? Chris Pine. Because all the other um, all the other Chris's are because Chris no, Pratt is. No, he was in the he was in the um, he was in Wonder Woman. So he oh there it is. DC. So he's in he is in a, he's in a DC. Okay, so he, but he is in the comic book movies, right? All the Chris's are in comic book movies because Chris Pine is in the Wonder Woman's. Uh, Chris Pratt is in the Guardians, and Chris uh, Evans is Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Chris Evans is Captain America. So. Anyway, all the yes. Chris's, they're all making stuff. I'm glad you like Dungeons and Dragons, though. Really entertaining movie, man. Um, and and I remember uh, I caught hell for liking it. I caught hell for giving it a good review. Yeah, I don't know. People were like, uh, I mean. It's just a fun little story. Yeah, I thought so, too. I had a good time. Uh, Steve. What was there? Uh, do you remember? Procopi Pro- liked it. Eric thought it. he hated it. He thought it was like a really bad, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's sort of a bad like a uh, uh, CGI a- action movie, and and yet I don't know. And then yet Eric liked the new Indiana yeah, Jones movie. I don't know. I don't know what the hell. I don't. Do I, they like that stupid Avatar movie? Uh, no, 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 no. We're not going to go that good. far. No, <laughs> no, they're not that crazy. They're not that crazy. They're not. They're not stupid enough to like a fucking Avatar movie because those are the worst. But anyway, all right. Well, uh, so uh, oh, wait, what? One more time. Let's say. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and Hi, Carrie. I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Congratulations on your on your Oscar. What, what's that's in the future? Maybe <laughs> maybe you'll get nominated. Maybe you'll get nominated Soon. for Cocaine Cocaine Bear. You might get nominated at the end. <laughs> but anyway, congratulations on the Emmy Hi, nomination. Hi, Carrie Russell. Okay, and Carrie, I love you. Nick's show. All right, all right, all right. Um, um, I'm amazed so, she's still awake. She's yes, she's partying been part- all night. Well, she's got a lot of T-shirt orders now, so she's got to make right. <laughs> they yeah, they she showed him the whole collection yeah. and yeah. Whoo, they were in love. Hey, speaking of T-shirts, Ezra, uh, we'll be giving T-shirts uh, away at uh, the flashback convention. Nice to yes. Carrie Russell make them. to Carrie Russell that Carrie Russell made. That's that's what we'll do. We got uh, T-shirts and other stuff we're going to be giving away. Uh, Flashback weekend. Join us live. Me and Esmeralda on stage for the Nick T Podcast Live. It's on Saturday, August 5th at 1230, part of the full weekend. Get your tickets now. Let's pack that ballroom for the event, and you can be a part of the podcast and win some stuff and all kinds of cool stuff. So flashbackweekend.com, August uh, 5th at uh, 1230. Esmeralda, thank you uh, for joining joining us today. Uh, thanks to uh, Amy Guth uh, for for joining us uh, live from uh, from L.A. as she's wrapping up making that Elvis movie. Um, mm. 
And on the next podcast, on uh, the next episode, Alan Haworth is going to join us. I could not be more excited. A great sound designer, an incredible composer, and a musician who worked with John Carpenter on the scores for, oh, I don't know, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live, Escape from New York, Halloween 3. Uh, he worked on the Star Trek stuff as well. Um, he's doing a live concert at Flashback Weekend. We're going to talk to Alan Haworth uh, on the next uh, episode. So have a nice. great weekend. Uh, happy birthday to your father, Esmeralda. I'll let him know. Yes. And everybody else, if you <laughs> want to be a sponsor, advertise with us on the Nick D Podcast, sales at radiomisfits.com. Leave your voicemail message open 24-7-773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks to Jason Skaggs and Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Check out radiomisfits.live for 24-hour streaming and so much more. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the uh, Nick D Podcast.